is taken from Matthew 5, verses 21 to 37. But before I start, here are some statements and some thoughts for us to consider before I start. As Christians, we sometimes hear the following, the following statements. It's no fun being a Christian. All rules and regulations. You have no fun at all. Or the conversation that I had with a family member not so long ago. You can't do that. You're religious. So I said, well, what do you mean I'm religious? Well, you go to church. There's lots of things you can't do. You know? You know what I mean? I said, no, I don't. Explain. So anyway, the conversation then continued. Or to the other extreme, being a Christian gives me complete freedom. By the grace of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. I can continue to sin because my sins are still going to be forgiven. But of course, none of these statements are true. Though we are all subject to the law. And then, I wonder how you feel about the law today. The law in the UK, or the law in America. Are you a bit angered, perplexed, surprised by the changes that are happening all around us? Brexit in the UK, President Trump in America, and the new laws that are being passed? How would you feel as a refugee with an American visa, and you get to the airport, and you're told, no, you can't go? You've got the visa, but you're not allowed to go anymore. You have to go home. And then suddenly, yes, you can go. You can. You're allowed to go. So you go back to the airport, and you're on your way to America. And it sort of, in a way, it spoils everything, doesn't it? Because you're not 100% sure of the welcome that you're going to get when you get there. So we, we all live within the law. And in Great Britain, uh, we, we probably have, I think, a fairly, a fairly safe law. And the law structures our society... It gives us boundaries, and it also gives us a certain sense of security as well, a certain sense of safety. Now, we're lucky in the UK because there are countries where, of course, the laws are quite draconian, and there is nothing, there's no security there at all, and in fact, probably engenders feeling of anger and fear and hatred. So, today, my talk is going to be about the law of the Old Testament, the law sometimes known as the law of Moses. And we have the, ne the, next, the next slide. Yeah, great. Um, this, this passage is taken from the Sermon on the Mount. And this particular section is about uh, Old Testament law. Now, it's important to remember that Jesus here was speaking to a largely predominant Jewish audience. Most of the people who would be listening to him would be Jews. And there are two questions to consider here. The Jews were wanting to know, was Old Testament law still relevant with the coming of Jesus? And then another question for us today is, is Old Testament law still relevant and applicable to us today? Right. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the law of the Old Testament, just very little, to, a little bit to give us a little bit of background. Have the next, the next slide, please. So the law is found in the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, oh, that, the next one, sorry, <laughs> missed that, that. Yeah, great. Um, in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In all, there are six, 613 laws, and the best known are the Ten Commandments, the ones that, uh, that we know best of all. And the law is embedded in the Old Testament narrative. We hear a lot about the law when we read the Old Testament. But to fully understand the laws, we have to look at the content of the law, the context, and the purpose 
of the law. Now, the content of the law, some laws are quite easy for us to understand. For example, um, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God other than me, or you shall not kill. The message is there, and it's very clear, and we can understand. Some are a little less clear. For example, Deuteronomy 22:11, Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Now, when I first read that, I thought, oh, yeah, a really, really sensible law. You know, if you combine fabrics like that and then you wash them, chances are your garments are going to be spoiled. You're probably going to get a tear or, or a, an unseemly semen and ruffle and everything. But what I found when I was doing sort of research for, for this part of, of my talk is that commentaries vary. There's a lot of different commentaries. So when I went and had a look at the meaning of this law, in one commentary, I got one uh, sort of explanation. And when I looked again, it was slightly different in, in other places. So one that, that I came across was, in ancient context, the law had a perfectly um, logical reasoning. Both priestly garments and the tabernacle weavings were a combination of wool and linen. The priest's white undergarment was linen and the brightly colored vestment was wool. So it was prohibited for laypersons to dress in the same way. Or it could just be as well that there are lots of laws that forbid mixing. If we think of the law in the field when you're suggested that you don't mix, I think it's, let's say, barley and wheat. I can't remember exactly the two. So there are a lot of laws to do with mixing. So it could be that that actually is the explanation. Or Deuteronomy 22.5, a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear woman's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does that. And again, look at us, look at me. I'm wearing what could be deemed as a man's clothing. And a lot of us here are, are, are at the moment. So that, that law, again, could fall into the category of mixing. Don't mix, you know, don't mix things. Or it could be, as was suggested by one commentary that I read, to do with deceit. Don't dress as a woman in order to deceive another man or a woman. And if you're a woman, don't dress as a man in order to deceive another person. Because in the time that the law was given, men's and women's clothing were actually really similar wore the garments were actually very very similar what distinguished them really was the ornaments that possibly that a woman wore but of course some men also wore a lot of, of uh, jewelry as well so we have to know the content of the law in order to understand it then we have to think as well about the context the time in which the law was given to the jews and this was thousands and thousands of years ago and it was to give structure to their community because at that time they were still wandering tribes. So having this law gave a bit of structure to the community. There are basically three types of law, ceremonial law, civil law, and moral law. And the purpose of the law was to create a holy people, a people set apart. God intended that the people of Israel would eventually take the message of God to the Gentiles. But as we know, the story didn't quite work out um, that way. So to get back to um, the text, the, the passage that we're going to look at today in more detail. Um, in order to answer that first question, uh, was the law of Moses still applicable in the time of Jesus? Jesus answers that very clearly in verse 17, just before our passage, where he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. 
And then in Mark 12:30, Jesus goes on to give us two new commandments. He says, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And in doing that, Jesus takes in the first commandment there, love your, the Lord your God, he takes the first four of the 10 commandments and, in, and includes them in that one law there. In the second, love your neighbor as yourself, he takes the other six commandments. And it's all about the way that we treat our, our, our neighbors and the people around us. Further on in Matthew, he also says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And John 1 verse 17 says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now I've, I've included all these bits in here because I think it means that Jesus is giving us with his teachings and his new commandments, not only the way to fulfill the law and to show us that the law is relevant, was relevant then, and is still relevant to us today, but he is also giving us guidelines in how to respond when the law is broken, when people fall short of the law, which is very important as well. So in Matthew 5, verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard it said long ago, sorry, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now that law is enshrined in our legal system today. We don't kill. We are not obviously allowed to kill anybody. But what has changed is the way that we respond to a person who has committed murder or who has killed somebody. There is no longer the death penalty in the UK. So we believe in the opportunity for repentance, for reconciliation, for new beginnings. We respond by showing the love and grace of Jesus Christ. The law is kept, but the person has a chance to redeem themselves. Jesus also goes on in this particular section to develop the theme that it's not only if you murder somebody you'll be judged, but if you have anger in your heart towards a fellow, another man or woman, you will also be judged. Because anger, unchecked, festers within us, doesn't it? It can build up, build up, it can escalate, and it can cause us to behave in a manner that we might deeply regret, to say things and do things that we might uh, deeply regret um, later on. So what he's saying is forgive, forgive each other, forgive your fellow man, somebody who's offended you, somebody who's done something uh, to uh, annoy you. Don't let the situation escalate. Um, what we should think about here, particularly with the next bit I'm going to say, is that there are obviously two types of anger. There's righteous anger, which we feel in a situation that is wrong, and we want, you know, we're angry about it, or there is the anger that we feel when somebody thwarts us and does something uh, that annoys us. But the thing about anger is it doesn't matter what type of anger, allowed to fester within us, the, the uh, response, it can escalate and cause us to behave in a... In, the, in a way that we may not want to. Um, Martin Luther King is a great example of somebody who was angered, and rightly angered, by the discrimination and the way that the black community in the States was treated in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And his response was a response of non-violent, a non-violent response. He, he had a campaign uh, of, of, of pacifism. He did not respond to the violence and discrimination 
in the way that many people expected him to. He saw his ministry as in the light of Jesus' teaching as turning the other cheek. He did not respond in the way that people thought that you should respond to this. He upheld the law. He had faith in Jesus to lead him forward and his faith allowed him to love your neighbor as yourself and do to others as you would have them do to you. And through his campaign of non-violence and peaceful protest, he achieved many, many things. Indeed, the law in America was changed and still today, the, uh, he laid the, the, the foundations for the civil rights movement. That continues today. But as we know, he paid a great price for what he did because he was shot um, in the end. To move on, the next, the, next bit, the next bit in this passage is about adultery. And again, Matthew verse 20, 27 says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus, again, enlarges on this, and he says it's not just by committing adultery that you break the law, it's by thinking about it. If your thoughts are going that way, then you are also committing adultery. So he says, whatever it is, whatever part of your body that is, com- that is causing you to behave in such a manner, be it your eye or your hand, cut it off, remove it from you. Now he's speaking metaphorically. He doesn't actually mean us to do that, but what we should do is we should cut ourselves off from people, from situations, from materials that are causing us to behave and think in certain ways, in lustful ways, and possibly lead us to break relationships by the way that that we are behaving. Take, for instance, pornography, which is rife uh, in our society. The, The problem with pornography is that if we have access to it on a regular basis, it's that drip, drip, drip effect. It desensitizes us to what is right and what is wrong. It desensitizes us about the way to treat both men and women. And it might lead us then to have thoughts and behaviors that are not in keeping with, uh, with our Christian faith. So the easy thing there, cut yourself off from that. Don't access pornography. Also, the other thing about pornography too, just as an aside, is of course that it is a terribly corrupt industry and lots of the men and women that are actually involved in pornography are only there because they have no other means of earning a living or even because they are being forced to do it. So it's something best left and access left alone. So the the message here is cut yourself off from anything, any situations, any material, any people that are going to cause you to behave in a lustful or possibly to lead you to commit adultery. And that leads us on to the next point which Jesus talks about, which is divorce, in verses 31 and 32. Now, Jesus spoke out against divorce many times uh, in the Gospels. Mark 10, verses 2 to 12, Luke 16, verse 18, and Matthew 19, verses 3 to 9. Jesus spoke out very strongly against divorce because he saw marriage as a unifying bond between two people that should not be broken. Tom Wright, in his book, Matthew for All, suggests it's no mere coincidence that Jesus places divorce between adultery and oaths. If people were able to think about their behavior more and keep their word, there might be less divorce. When I was young, divorce was something that was, nobody spoke about. In the classroom, there might be friends of mine or people that I knew whose parents were divorced, and what we would do is we would whisper about it, talk about it very quietly, you never talk to them about it. And when I asked my mum and dad about things like, you know, so-and-so being divorced, I would 
We told, well, we're not going to talk about this or poor so-and-so, but basically the subject was left, you know, alone. It was swept under the carpet. Now, divorce shouldn't be swept out of the under the carpet because it is actually a very negative event in most people's lives, people that are involved. Um, very few people walk away from a divorce unscathed. People are broken, relationships are broken, families are broken, friendships are broken, all through divorce. Therefore, it's not something that we should sweep to one side and not talk about and not support the people who are involved in the process. Um, I'm divorced and I have the experience of being divorced in a Christian community and sadly, it's not all been, been good and it's not all been positive. When I was first divorced, I was very reticent and wary about talking to people about the fact that I was divorced. There were two main reasons for this. One was that I was embarrassed, I was ashamed of the fact that I'd failed in what I saw as a very important area of my life. And also because I had broken promises that I had made to God. And the second reason was that I was frightened of the response that I was going to get from people. I didn't want their opinion of me to be changed, the opinion that they had, and I didn't want to be labelled as well as a tag of being divorced. So it's really, really important that we support people and families in this situation with the love and grace of Jesus. I also went to a couple of seminars about divorce. <laughs> Unfortunately, they were, it was probably some of the worst seminars I'd ever been to because the message there was all about the law and upkeeping the law. There was nothing about the love and grace of Jesus. There was no opportunity for forgiveness, to forgive and to be forgiven, for new beginnings, for reconciliation, for repentance, you know, and, and just to, for healing. I think the important thing, there was no message of healing. So, but luckily for me, I belonged to a church that was able to support me in the aftermath of my divorce and allow the healing to happen. But it's really important that we support all parties involved in divorce because the impact of a divorce is far-reaching and can continue to affect families many, many years after the event itself. The next part that Jesus talks about is oaths, verses 33 to 37. And actually, I think that his message here is really, really simple and really to the point. When you're making a promise, when you're taking an oath, you don't have to swear it in God's name or in Jesus' name. You just have to say yes. Yes, I'm going to do this. Or no, I can't do this. And then stick to your word. Keep your word. You don't have to embellish saying yes. Just say yes. Now, I want to finish by looking at just a little bit, not too much, at, in, at Galatians chapter 5, where St. Paul was writing to uh, the Gentiles. And he was writing about Old Testament law and fulfilling the law. And one point that he makes that I think is really important is that he makes the point that with the coming, can we have the, the next slide, uh, please? Yeah. With the coming of the, of the Holy Spirit, we live under the law of the Spirit. And as such, we should be endowed with the fruit, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if we are full of the fruit of the, of the Spirit, we will fulfill the law. It gives us the means to fulfill the law. The Jews celebrate Pentecost as God giving the law to Moses when Moses came down from the mountain with the law. We celebrate Pentecost with the gift of the Holy Spirit giving us the ability to fulfill the law and giving us the guidance as well on how to help people 
who have not been able to fulfill the law or who have fallen short. Because remember, our response can be what defines that person later on in life and defines the path that they're going to take. So we respond with the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much.